Welcome to the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast, sponsored by WebSpy. It's December 21, 2009, and this is episode 222. On November 28, I visited one of my favourite parks here in Tokyo, the Jindai Botanical Gardens, to shoot the beautiful autumn colour that they have as a result of some strategically placed Japanese maple or kaede trees. While I was shooting one particular scene there, uh, that we'll look at in a moment, I realised that a small crowd of photographers had gathered behind me and they were vying for position to shoot the same scene. And this is not uncommon, but it got me thinking that I had found a particular spot where everything just works and maybe not had been so obvious to others photographing the same location. So I figured I'd talk about this a little today. Before we go on, I'd like to say a big thank you to our sponsors, WebSpy, the Internet Monitoring, Analysis and Reporting Specialists. And as usual, I'd like to ask you to tweet the message thanks to at WebSpy for sponsoring the at Martin Bailey Photography Podcast on Twitter to show your support. To find out more about WebSpy and their products, go to webspy.com slash MBP and use the discount code MBPWSY for a 10% discount on anything that you buy. First, let's look at one of the resulting images from this shoot, which is image number 2417. I love this image. It was one of those hair on the back of my head standing up because I'm making something beautiful here moments. I've been so busy recently with other stuff that I didn't have time to do more than just glance through these images on the day that I shot them. But when I came back to the set on Sunday, three weeks later, my hair was standing up on the back of my head again, just looking at these. Anyway, as I say, I was aware that the time, you know, at the time I was shooting this, that it was not the obvious angle to shoot these trees from. In fact, I've shot here at this time of year for three years in a row now, and I've never even noticed this angle before. So it has not been obvious even to me until this time. And, you know, it may not have even been there before, but at least I haven't noticed it before. I have shot the yellow tree a lot, and, you know, this it's really my favourite tree here. This year, though, it was not as beautiful as it has been for the first two years. I don't know if they pruned it down a little, or if it was just more grandiose uh, in previous years, but it just didn't have the same presence this year. Feeling like I was standing in front of an old friend, I even called out to the tree, sort of announcing that I was back and thanking it for the great photos from the previous years. I only shot a few frames of the tree uh, from the same angle as previous years uh, this year because it just didn't look as good and I was not going to make you know as, anywhere near as good a picture as the ones that I'd got um, from previous visits. As I walked away though, I felt somewhat saddened and really wanted to make something of the, the beautiful yellow leaves. So I started to do what I've spoken about a number of times, and that's to, to look back. We can often think of a scene in a certain way, 
And especially, you know, once you have what you think is the best photograph that the scene can offer, we walk away. I do, though, often look back at a subject as I move on, just to make sure that I'm not missing something. And this year, I did that for a little bit longer than I might usually do. And I ended up spotting an angle where there were a number of different coloured trees in a line. The moment I saw it, I knew that there was a shot there, so I dropped my tripod down with the 300mm f2.8 lens on it and started to line up a shot. I raised the tripod a little and then lowered it a little and, you know, just sort of made it so that the leaves all lined up just right um, from a height-wise as well as an angle, um, you know, perspective. I was pretty far away, so to really edit out as much of the surroundings as necessary, I also used the 1.4 times extender. So this image was shot at a focal length of 420 millimeters. So in addition to looking and finding the right angle to get this shot, I'd adjusted the height of my camera on the tripod and the focal length. The next thing that I did was rendered the beautiful red, green and orange leaves in the foreground out of focus by using a very shallow depth of field. When using the 1.4 times extender on the 300mm f2.8 lens, you lose one stop, so f4 is the widest aperture uh, that you can shoot at, and that's what I shot this image at. I would bet a three-digit amount um, that the the majority of the people that saw me shooting here and tried to shoot the same scene ended up with you know stopping down their apertures and trying to get all of the leaves that were sort of in line there, everything that they got in the frame sharp. I didn't shoot anything smaller than f4 here because I knew that it you know, this is the look that I wanted. Shortly after fi I finished shooting this scene, I walked along a little further and I placed my tripod, tripod down to shoot the wider scene. And mainly that was to show you um, what I was working with. And as I did, some of the guys that had been standing and well, queuing um, behind me for the spot ran past, obviously having seen something that interested them. I turned to see what it was. And it turns out that the, the sun was shining through the larger surrounding trees and just highlighting another orange and red leaved tree maybe a hundred meters or so away. My wife looked at me and, and asked if I wanted to go over and I said no and I, I recalled um, you know as I'm preparing for today's podcast I recalled realizing that there's another element in the making of this picture. I had shot the scene in the shade which basically uh, helps to control the colours. In fact, it was overcast rather than the shade. Um, basically, you know, I've, I've shot the yellow tree here in direct sunlight, and it's nice. But uh, as I've mentioned before in other podcasts, other episodes, nice sunny days don't always make for the best photographs. I'd actually prefer to shoot in the shade or on an overcast day, and even on, in the rain, as opposed to bright sunlight. If you go through my online gallery at martinbaileyphotography.com and take a look through the albums, or use the Cool Iris viewer to look back through my image collection, you'll quickly see that there are very few images that include a blue sky. 
There is the odd one, but really most of the time a blue sky just doesn't excite me and even if I'm out on a clear day, I rarely include the sky in the shot if it's a clear blue one. So to recap, I worked the angle here, the height from which I shot, the amount of the scene that I included um, in, in the frame with the focal length, the depth of focus with my aperture, and the quality of light hitting the leaves was controlled by the time of day that I visited and you know basically through uh, well I should note that you know the the weather forecast for this day was sunny in the morning and overcast in the afternoon and I arrived after lunch all of the elements that I'm talking about here are totally adjustable by you know your decisions and very personal to how we as photographers choose to make our images. To hopefully, um, you know, to help impress on you uh, what sort of a scene I'd carved this out, this image out of, here's a, you know, a photograph of the wider scene. I'll include this in the enhanced podcast and on the blog, but there will not be a thumbnail in the podcast page because I won't be uploading this to my gallery. You can see here, though, that it's it's just a regular park, uh, albeit a, a very beautiful one at this time of year. You can probably appreciate, though, that the first photograph that we looked at, and you know, had not really been that obvious at all to the many people that that come here at this time of year to photograph these trees. The above photo um, is you know, the, the one that we just looked at is actually of the trees to the extreme right of this image. So you can see that there's, you know, it's not really not that easy to pick out that sort of an image. Before we go on and take a, a look at a few more examples, I just wanted to include a quick word from a friend. This is Dave Warner, and I'm the host of the LensFlare35.com podcast. Each week I bring you interviews with some of the top photographers using digital SLR cameras. They share some of their coolest tips and tricks, techniques and news about what they're up to. So please take a moment to visit the website or subscribe to LensFlare35 on iTunes. If you don't already listen to LensFlare35, it's a, an excellent podcast. So, you know, do check that out in iTunes and uh, take a look at the website, etc. So moving on, as another example of making an image rather than taking it, Let's look at another photograph that I made this year to introduce a few more concepts. The image is number 2256. You may recognize this image from earlier episodes, but the point I wanted to make here is that I ensured that the sea that we can see uh, softly illuminated here looks like that because I checked when the full moon was going to rise at this location before planning a trip out to this spot. It's a beautiful place, but to me there's little point in coming here to photograph this Shinto gate in the sea unless the moon was going to light up the sea itself in this way. Also, you might remember that I photographed this same gate a few years ago as well, and the images, although okay, were not anywhere near as nice in my opinion as this one. The reason for that is because I now have a much better handle on long exposures and this image was made with a 4 minute exposure 
which really renders that C so much more beautifully than the 30 seconds to one minute exposures that I'd used previously. So here my point is a couple of things. Do your homework while planning a trip to give yourself a chance of getting the conditions that you're after. That's important. And also, don't just consider how you frame and compose your images, but bear in mind the visual effect that the length of the exposure gives you. As you, you know, as well as using the, the depth of field that are controlled by the aperture, you know, really think about the length of the exposure as well. Finally, I wanted to talk about one other option for making pictures instead of taking them, and that is post-processing. I clearly recall standing on the beach at Hamamatsu with my wife and she telling me that there was, um, it, you know, I was basically wasting my time photographing there. And let's take a look at the image that I did not post in the gallery first to give you some background. Here you can see a pretty drab scene, although, you know, in this scene you can get an inkling of what I was trying to do if you notice that I was again using a long exposure to enable us to see the effect of the waves as they uh, draw back out and uh, around that log there in the foreground. I was being persistent here though as I, although I was in the area to meet with the company that I had do the die pressing for my new folios, I had brought all my camera gear and I was determined not to leave the area without at least one photograph to show for my four-hour drive. Despite the apparent drabness of the scene, as I shot this, I had a clear picture of what I was going to do with this shot in my mind. I knew that I was going to convert it to black and white, probably in Nick Software's Silver FX Pro, as we'll shortly see. My main objective moved from capturing something immediately beautiful because it simply wasn't there, to capturing a base image that I could use to make something more special in post-processing. You'll see that the sky in the original is very pale and featureless, but note that it's not blown out. I do this by default, but if, say, I had blown out the sky, because it's just a, a large blank patch of white, which I sometimes do with plain white skies, um, in a more contrasty scene, especially if there's a more important feature in the foreground that I, you know, that I need to correctly expose, then I would not have been able to, you know, if I'd have blown out the sky, I would not have been able to rescue any detail in the clouds. Let's now take a look, though, at the resulting image, which is number 2294. The black and white conversion enabled me to add contrast and make those wave breakers in the sea become more of a focal point and it's not easy to see in the web version possibly but in a larger print these concrete formations actually add quite a bit to the shot. Most of all though using some strategically placed control points in Silver FX Pro darkened down certain parts of the sky and the beach and helped me to rescue something from what was at first glance could have easily been a very uninspiring scene. Again though, I want to stress that uh, ensuring that I got the, the water drawing out in the image there uh, with that long exposure and ensuring that I captured detail in the sky were critical for the success of this image. 
I am certainly not saying that you can rescue any old crappy image in post-processing. My point is that to make an image, you can also sometimes pre-visualize what you'll do in post-processing and make your field work more of a, a gathering process than a finished process. I do like the you know to nail a shot in the camera, but sometimes we have to make the best of the situation, and I think that this is a relatively good example of that. Of course, there are times when you will totally make a shot by using models and props and you know totally controlling the light. Um, I will soon be sharing the details of a portrait shoot that I did a couple of months ago where I rented a, an outdoor studio and controlled all of the light with uh, three strobes that I was using, uh, two of them with umbrellas. And I even had uh, some volunteer models come along to help me uh, to, to build my portrait folio, portfolio, basically. And these are times when making an image takes on a different meaning, but we'll get into that at another time. For now, let's just remember that all of your compositional tricks, as well as there's, you know, carefully selecting an angle and the height from which you shoot, the focal length, the shutter speeds and the depth of field are all things that you control and that can make or break a photograph. Keep tabs on everything that affects the results, including the quality of light, the time of day and the location of the sun or the moon if they're important to the realization of the images that you intend to make. I can't believe that there are only two weeks left in the year. In the coming weeks, I'll be going over how I got on with regards to the goals that I set myself in 2009. And I'll also be selecting my top 10 images from 2009 as you know, has now become a, a bit of a tradition. This is the last episode that I'll release before Christmas, so a Merry Christmas to you all if you celebrate it. Thanks for listening today, and thanks again to WebSpy for supporting the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. Remember that you can find me on Twitter, Flickr, Facebook, as well as my blog and the Photography Forum. Links to everything are on the top page at martinbaileyphotography.com, so swing by and check that out. And I'll be back next week, but for now, you just have a great week, whatever you're doing. Bye-bye. The Martin Bailey Photography Podcast is a proud member of the Photocast Network. Find this and other great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com.